Hello and welcome to episode two of Little Science Talks. I'm Heidi and I'm the founder of Little Science Co. And alongside the business, I'm a research fellow working to make clinical trials more inclusive. And I'm Anna, freshly baked marine biologist about to start work in the renewable advice sector. In season one, we are speaking to scientists from around the world to find out if and how generational influences shape their choices of a STEM career. In our last episode, we spoke to Sona Raymond, who shared her experiences of how cultural pressures shaped her career choices and why she made the decision to build a career in psychology. This week, we're heading into the lab to explore Diana Guthrie's experiences as a PhD student, black woman and blogger. So remember to follow Little Science Co. on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Little Science Co. for everything. And take a look at our lovely new website, which includes lots of new products over at littlescienceco.com. For now, we hope you enjoy this episode and remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure that you don't miss future episodes. Hello and welcome to Little Science Talks. Today we are joined by the wonderful Diana Guthrie. Uh, Diana, do you want to give us a little introduction about yourself? Sure. Hi everyone, I'm Diana. I um, was born in Kenya and raised in Glasgow. I'm now in Newcastle studying microbiology at the University of Newcastle and I guess what else do I do? I'm a blogger. You sure <laughs> um, <are>. I, <laughs> I blog about science, social justice, just lifestyle kind of well-being. Um, so I do a lot of things over on Instagram and also have my own blogging platform called An Abundance of Melanin. I dance as well. I love to dance and I guess yeah, that's pretty much it. There's a lot more, I guess, about me, but <laughs> you'll get to discover a bit more through the, through the episode. I love your blog name. Thanks. I love that. You're just like, I do this, I do this, I do this, and I do this. Oh, not much else. Like a million <laughs> yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Just casually being a superstar. <laughs> yep. <And> that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. A million things. So you're in Newcastle at the minute, yeah? Yes, I am. And you're doing your PhD. Mm-hmm. So what made you want to study science like to begin with when you were you know choosing probably undergrad I'm guessing or even A level before that? Yeah I think honestly so I guess a bit of background in, in, in the sense is that I actually emigrated from Kenya and I was seven to Scotland so in that kind of sense my mum was quite traditional in the sense of like she wanted my brother and I after we moved to the UK to kind of have you know good um, education and also get like you know a good job in terms of sustaining ourselves and you know having good money etc and just being able to have a good life um so the kind of su- subjects that she thought you know would have that would be sort of your medical sort of related fields medicine law um being a teacher etc so that was kind of like drilled into us to kind of you know aspire to these kind of ambitions but I didn't really I didn't want to be a doctor um I, I just thought it was just too much I wasn't a big fan of lots of blood and like yeah it just seems like a lot to me I toyed with law a little bit um, when I was younger but I just found that ultimately I hated reading lots of books and like writing lots of essays and it was quite a bit boring to me and then it actually wasn't until there was like maybe 14 15 I had to choose my subjects at school and then started thinking about university that I was like hmm what do I actually like so I guess the the privilege that I had in terms of the upbringing that I had was that because my mum had um, kind of moved us over to the UK I got to choose something that I actually enjoyed and she wasn't you know really pushy as a mum you know she didn't really care necessarily what we did as long as we did things that were sensible so I loved biology at school and my biology teacher was amazing and she really kind of encouraged me to do the subject. 
and there wasn't really anything that I could I thought that was um, that interesting as a career option with just biology so then I've seen bio, biochemistry and I love that idea so I've kind of fast forward a little bit into um, school did um, I applied for university to do um, a master's in biochemistry then I did my final exams in school and then got into my undergrad I think it was more because I love asking things I'm just so interested in constantly I used to always ask my mom like why does that happen you should have an answer and I'd ask why is that and why is that so I was always quite a curious child and quite a curious teenager as well so I love that aspect of science that it was there was never sort of a done deal with an answer it was always more to discover and the fact that I did quite well in it as well obviously that helps when you do well on a subject you know that does help you kind of think okay I could do this in future and I had a great teacher as well. So that also kind of perked my interest in, in choosing that subject. So yeah, that's, that's, I guess that, that's where it started. That's why I am where I am. <laughs> a good teacher always helps, doesn't it? Like I remember oh, amazing. Um, at school, like one teacher would be amazing and another one would, wouldn't. And then suddenly it was like the good teacher subject that everyone was like, oh yeah, maybe I could do this. So like what yeah. sort of influence did they have? Did they like introduce you to new areas of science or was it just like a sort of general like yeah you can do this sort of thing yeah I think she's had a lot of time for um for children and I think a lot of teachers I feel like you know they get they get like 20 years into the profession and they just can't be bothered doing the same thing over and over again and they just get like they're quite curt and just don't really seem to be that interested in teaching anymore that the actual fundamental aspect of teaching children um, where she was quite new and I guess in her career she's quite young and she kind of had a different way of teaching and you could tell that she she loved it she genuinely loved being able to spark an interest in, um, in everybody and so I love that about her and especially if you did well in her class and you and even if you didn't do well in her class you still had time to kind of you know help you through it um, through different questions that you were struggling with or if we had exams etc she was always kind of like available and ready to kind of have supported study um so I think it was just that time and effort that I seen that kind of allowed me to explore science a little bit a little bit more as a as a child and like what are your plans for the next next step because obviously like PhD is a pretty massive thing I'm almost certain that you're probably sick of people asking you what comes after the PhD <laughs> But what is coming after the PhD? <laughs> million dollar question. I know. I think it, obviously inevitably we always think about these things, but as soon as we start, you know, a job or whatever it is that we do, we're always like, okay, what can I do next? And what's the what's the game plan? And I think the I have like a kind of like future kind of destination more than like a really immediate one. So my kind of biggest aspirations and ambitions are kind of to do with like policy and healthcare. So I really want to kind of be able to kind of get my hands on in terms of actually how healthcare um, policies are decided and how they are brought about into government etc and also that kind of maybe liaison within both maybe here in the UK and also in countries in the south so particularly of course Kenya where I'm from that would be amazing to kind of see how that can translate and how we can maybe create collaborations between um you know Kenya and here um because they are such a huge country that's developing so quickly and they have expertise it's just opportunities aren't there so if I'm able to kind of be that bridge um, in between here where we have the resources and over there where they're lacking the resources that would be amazing and then within that as well trying to sort of like aspire young kids young black girls as well to be able to see to say you know I can do science as well because I can see someone doing that too um so kind of creating maybe scholarships or 
I don't even know, just something that is practical and will help people um, that were in my position when I was younger that I didn't have. So to do that, though, I realised that I kind of would, you know, PhD would absolutely help with that, being able to kind of understand the research aspect of science as well. And then I kind of want to kind of try and, and um, move around different industries in science. So kind of go to tech as well, even just normal industry kind of related jobs as well. Maybe academia a little bit further, but I don't know. But just try and kind of jump around science um, and healthcare as much as possible so that I can get a feel for everything. And then everything can be tied together. Yeah, when, I, when I'm older and wiser and <laughs> can do a lot of things, that will be great. <laughs> love that it's cool isn't it because I think with with science like you can kind of have like a game plan of like this is the puzzle that I'm going to put together and then eventually in like 10 or 15 years time this is what it's going to look like and this is where I'm going to go I like I love that about science because I think it's it means that the people kind of at the top that can influence stuff can have such a diverse mix of skills and like experiences and stuff it's such a cool way to I don't know I guess like do stuff does that even make sense I'm just struggling for words I know and I feel like um people don't really understand I guess the the many aspects that come to science as well like um there's just so many different parts to it that you think when you think scientists you think someone is sitting on the bench all day and doing experiments and having funny looking liquids and floating gases everywhere but um (laughs) but there's just so many moving parts to it and it ultimately you know we've seen with what happened with covid it affects our day-to-day lives so much more so yeah there's I can't wait to just see what's out there yeah I think that's a really like it's a nice outlook as well because there's a lot of people like when I was doing my PhD we, we all kind of had like this is where we're going to go and it was like a straight line and then yeah. the, like the further along you get you're like actually it needs to wiggle a bit so that it's it's any use <laughs> like because if, if it is just straight it doesn't really you never really get like the experience and the di- that diversity of experience to make a proper difference and to like understand different perspectives and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're like bench based now, aren't you? Yep, I'm bench based definitely. So what's your what does your like day to day look like? What does your like a day in the lab for you look like? So busy usually. <laughs> so normally I kind of come in to the lab and I normally kind of have like a little checklist of things that I want to do from the day before. But it's all dependent, if all microbiologists know it's all dependent on your bacteria and how they've grown, how they're behaving. So if I'm doing a lot of things with, with, which involve, you know, kind of bacterial work, then I'll kind of have to make sure that the, everything's went smoothly the day before. So that will kind of determine a lot of my days as well. But normally it's kind of just like running experiments, doing a lot of reading as well since I'm in my first year. So a lot of things as well is kind of like everything's quite new as well. And obviously it takes me a lot longer to understand certain techniques as well and making sure that I get them right so I spend a lot of time as well on the computer just making sure that I am you know getting that understanding and knowledge behind all my experiments and kind of thoroughly researched properly and yeah then I'll have kind of coffee break and then more experiments (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's honestly just like Busy days feel like five minutes. That's the amazing part about being um, lab-based PhDs. It doesn't feel like I'm working sometimes. It feels like I'm just having fun. <laughs> I just all so nice. to supervise her. And she's always like, no, you are working. You know, people don't can't do what you're doing as well. And I'm like, I know, I know. But it just seems like I'm just like messing around with a lot of different equipment. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 Literally, yeah. But 
I love the variety of it, even though obviously things can will take time and um, certain things won't work the first time. So you kind of need to try them over and over again. I love the variety that experiments can take, you know, like five minutes up to like five days or, you know, and there's always a kind of moving puzzle and things. You can, you're always doing different things, but they'll all kind of merge together and create that again, like that, what you're saying, how this puzzle of what it's supposed to look like, but there's just so many different moving aspects. Yeah, a, a day for me is just random. <laughs> it's just all over the place, but I love it. And when you talk to your mum, I always ask people this question, when you talk to your mum, does she know what you're talking about? Absolutely not. She even just learnt my degree name, I think, the other day, honestly. <laughs> she just Isn't knows so like, that I do that. Like... Yeah. And no one really, I feel like nobody really knows. And it's funny because when people then were in like, uh, you know, uh, we're meeting someone new for the first time that I, that's not in my side of the family or, you know, my side of the friends. And someone asks, oh, what do you do? And like, you're going to see that person trying to explain it. And you're just like, oh, no, like, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. But good for you trying yeah um yeah no one no one gets it and even when I explain it everyone's like oh amazing and then you hear two months later what is it you actually do again (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like that's kind of like the peak of like we've we've made it now people around us have absolutely no idea we are the transponster of our group (laughs) like we are we just use two complicated words (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah pretty much we've managed to like confuse them into thinking that we have proper jobs wild exactly exactly and it's it's always funny because it's always just like when they can't explain it it's just like oh this is something really clever and I'm like yeah I guess so I mean <laughs> if that's how you want to describe it sure I'll describe it as clever <laughs> <laughs> it is funny as well because like, I remember my partner ages ago was like you know you're one of the cleverest people I know and also the most stupid I'm like oh, oh yeah. yeah like I'll do stuff like I'll put the dishwasher on and forget to put like a dishwasher tablet in it just like yeah. how do you how have you got this far wait I don't know just too many things going on in her brain that's what it yeah, is man. too many things hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> we all just need like nannies or something to do all of the like the basic life functions for us <laughs> I know that would be amazing oh my goodness I would get so much done if I had yeah ever since moving to like my own even moving out of home I've just noticed how much goes into just like living like you have to come home then you have to cook then you have to wash dishes then you have to get ready for the next day then you have to clean oh my goodness it's like a never-ending cycle (laughs) how do you balance like it all you know if you have a really long day at the lab and obviously like you're doing the science communication you have to be creative you have to do all this and then you have to function as a human being how do you do it Oh my god I honestly do not know I'm a I'm a lover of lists and to do lists and reminders so and normally we'll just kind of try and like write things in a diary and like try and like make sure that I get things done and, and you know the time I've said I've allocated and if I can't I'll set myself a reminder and honestly I feel like there's been times with like blogging for example that I've just said I don't have time for this right now and, and frankly it's not the most important thing in my life right now so I'm just gonna give um, myself time to live you know and actually function as a, as a human being because I think we can get absolutely you can get so wrapped up in um, in trying to be superhuman but we're actually not and the more you do that the more you burn out and the more you end up hating what you're doing anyway so I I just try and check in as well with myself like every so often and be like am I actually enjoying what I'm doing right now no okay like back burner and focus on what you need to do if that's work or if that's seeing your friends and making sure that you get to go home and spend some time even just by myself watching trashy tv shows check-ins are I think that's the thing that I use the most it's so important as well yeah 
I love Heidi. The checklist you have with the no, how to say no. Oh, yeah. That one, yeah. Oh. love it. I think everyone needs that in their life. That was like, so someone had written, it was um, a girl called Alex um, who'd written a blog post for me. And she was like, oh, this is the, te- the technique that I use to say no to people. I was like, how have you not? like made this like what are you talking about people need to know this it's like can I make it into a notepad and she's like oh uh, yeah if you want I was like just so that you know if you ever need one just come to me I'll give you them for free so I sent out like five of them she's like can you send one to this person and this person and oh this person never says no to anything send one to them I was like okay great so we like like uh, post bombed them it was like you should like these are little gifts from us you need to just say no more often but like after that, I was like, this is an absolute freaking brainwave that this woman has had. Like, how how does no one ever coach you on how to say no? Because yeah, as like when you I think particularly in like academia, you go through your undergrad and if you do a PhD, like you're taught to say yes to all of these different opportunities and like it'll look good for your CV and all that kind of thing. And then you kind of carry that into adulthood and then you just burn out like you don't have enough time physically to do all of those things so you have to like you have to draw the line somewhere because you you have to have a life like it's not it's toxic productivity I think that you know yeah. falls down to that um and I saw you wrote a blog post about it which I actually bookmarked <laughs> amazing <laughs> oh, love it but um yeah it's weird how that works yeah it's just insane it's like even though you know you're doing so much and probably much than you should be doing seeing someone else checking off a, li- a task on their list is like oh my god I need to do more but you, you really don't <laughs> and it's just such a cycle I think of constantly feeling that you're not you know you're not good enough or you're not doing enough work or that you're not gonna get you know your dreams and aspirations like I hate those like quotes and memes of like you you have the same hours in the days Beyonce or oh, you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Totally right though. Like Beyonce has 24 yeah. hours, but she also has like a million other people around her that also have 24 right. hours to do the stuff. Like, ugh, yeah, yeah, does my nut. Absolutely. And even then it's like, you know, I, I don't want to be Beyonce. You know, it'd be amazing, but mm-hmm. also like I I mediocre and average is, sometimes it's okay, it's needed. Yeah. But everyone is built up to be like um these um, you know, these people who do extraordinary things. That's why they are in those positions. So yeah, I think toxicness of overworking it need, it needs to go. Yeah. I'm like sometimes we just need to be okay with like being average. Like yeah. it, we're fine with that. And I think, especially during PhDs, or in my experience anyway, like loads of people that I'd spoken to whilst I was doing mine, like we all kind of get hit with this, like, oh, this is hard. Because like during your undergrad and stuff, if you're like academically inclined, it wasn't necessarily super tough. Like, yeah, you had to work at it stuff, but maybe it wasn't like intellectually challenging. And then you get to PhD stage and you're like, oh man, this is like a whole new kettle of fish. Like no one, no one knows the answer, not even like the people above me. And I'm trying to find the answer. I'm like, this is really hard. <laughs> and I think like when you're trying to write your thesis and stuff, obviously your first choice, like, I don't want to scare you. <laughs> like when you're writing a thesis, my, like my boss would always say to me, like a good thesis is a done thesis. Like you don't, it doesn't mm. need to be this like magical life-changing thing. It just needs to be done to a point where someone else says like, yeah, that's not rubbish. And then you can go to the next thing. <laughs> like it's not, it's not crap. So you're fine. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like you need to put in as much time as you have rather than as much time as you think is like necessary for it. 
So yeah, yeah, totally get you with that whole toxic productivity thing. It's it's a freaking nightmare. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Diana, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went straight into your PhD from your undergrad. Um, no, right? um, no, so I my undergrad was kind of like a mix, so it was a combined master's. So I did four years of biochemistry and microbiology, and then I did um, one year just a master's in microbiology. But it was like kind of like a undergrad sort of makeup. That makes sense. It wasn't a separate master's. And then I went into my PhD. Cool. How do you think that um, prepared you for your PhD? Like, was it a big jump or was it more of a, okay, this is kind of a continuation of what I learned? I would say it was kind of half and half. The only reason I say this is because I did an internship in third year, which was industry based. Um, so I never really had a lot of lab experience apart from like teaching labs at university. And um, if anybody, you know, does teaching labs at university, they know they're they're not great. You know, you get like an hour, like a week or something, hour, hour, no, three hours a week or something. And you don't really learn much because obviously a lot of these are kind of like simulations, if that makes sense. They're kind of made up experiments that are supposed to work if they don't work then they kind of give you the results you're supposed to get and so you don't necessarily learn what you know what it feels like to be in a lab and doing research it's kind of just trying to validate what you've your knowledge that you've learned in class so I didn't really do a lot of lab um, work and so after my internship I was really interested in industry like in industrial science so for my fourth year my honours project was an enterprise so it wasn't again lab based at all it was actually kind of to do with business and science which I absolutely loved and the reason I chose that was because I knew that I'd have my master's which was completely lab based so I had six months in the lab which were amazing I think that really prepared me for my master's and that's what made me choose to do a PhD anyway because I was I was dead sure I was going to go straight to industry and then I then completely changed and 180 and chose to do a PhD instead um, that was lab-based so it did prepare me in the sense of like I felt like ownership of my project and master's level and I got to understand how it feels like to kind of work you know nine to five in a lab and design experiments etc but the other flip side was because I didn't have as lot as much experience in the lab as others might have. It didn't prepare me that sense. And also my project is completely different. So it wasn't necessarily a continuation in terms of knowledge. So it was, again, I had to kind of like reverse and kind of trying to learn what my new project is. So half and half, but I am so glad I did my master's and I'm glad of the, the path I, take, I took to, to get here. Yeah, I think there's loads of like, you pick up different things from whatever like job or choice and thing you, you make and particularly with a PhD like you need all these different skills all the time so even the, the skills that you don't think you need like you're going to pick them up from different areas so like even if you work a part-time job in a shop like those customer service skills are really helpful when you're trying to argue with someone who doesn't seem to understand the, the scientific point so like all of it is gonna yeah they will everything will help <laughs> a piece of advice is honestly to just even in like job applications, PhD applications, everything, you have, you live a life, you learn so much from, you know, all the different things you do in your outside life. And people are so scared to talk about that, but you can have so many, like you learn, even if you had to argue with someone because they didn't have the same points, they thought the earth was flat and you were convincing them that the earth was actually round. <laughs> do you get my point that was probably yeah, very short. absolutely no it's a good point it's a good point it is it's just like yeah you pick up skills all the time and I think even Instagram stuff like that I think when well a couple of years ago maybe 
senior academics might have thought like that was kind of a, not a waste of time, but they might not have said those words, but they may have thought them like, why are you spending your time doing that sort of like communication online? And like, why are you on Twitter and all these different things? And I think the longer it goes on, the, the longer they're, they're probably thinking like, oh, right. Mm, that does make sense. The arguments are more solid or they're more developed and the communication skills are better and that kind of thing. And it, it helps as well with just like building a network, like having like friends that know what's going on in your, in like the PhD life is a freaking lifesaver. Like I remember a bad day PhD wise, like I'd come home and try and explain it to my partner and he just, he'd try and get it, but he, he couldn't cause he hadn't done it. And then I'd like put it on Instagram. I was like, oh, I've had a really annoying day. Like my results weren't coming through or my data was really bad. And someone else would be like, oh yeah, that was me last week. But this week it's fine. Like keep going. You're, you're cool. And it was like little things like that always help so much just to like pull you, pull you through, <laughs> make sure you actually get to the end of it. Absolutely. And I think especially like the past year, my first year was mostly in lockdown as well. Luckily I got to go into the lab, but this wasn't what I was expecting my first year is completely different to the sort of like social aspect that I was expecting about a PhD and even just the novelty of it all it kept me going for so long but then it kind of obviously it kind of dissipated and I was just like oh my goodness this is all I do this is all I work is just life so seeing people on Instagram you know kind of talking about like their bad days and even their good days as well kind of gave me that motivation to keep going and and also made me realize that I wasn't alone at all even though I have people in the lab that are going to the exact same thing it's sad in a way but it's nice to know people are also going through the same thing be it good or bad so oh my goodness yeah the network aspect of any job or any PhD or whatever it is you're doing is so important yeah definitely and do you think that makes more of a difference to you like seeing as though you're sort of like first gen and stem sort of thing like the people like your family and stuff might not have had that same experience is is that like been a like a more of a comfort for that reason yeah absolutely yeah because my mom you know she doesn't she doesn't really obviously understand you know she thinks that I'm still she she knows exactly what I'm doing if that makes sense she knows I'm in uni I'm still working etc but she doesn't really understand what science is and that it can be frustrating and that it is it's hard in, in a sense you know people think oh you're clever it must be quite easy to kind of do <laughs> do science or <laughs> and also it clearly it must work you just kind of get to again play around with equipment all day but when you're working with something that you don't know the answer to as you mentioned Heidi it's so difficult to kind of keep your motivation and be like am I actually made for this is this am I the right person to do this so yeah it's quite hard to kind of like say I'm having a bad day because of this because they're just like oh well it's okay like it'll be it'll get better and I know it will but it's 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 hard you don't want to hear that exactly because no one really gets why the bad day was a bad day yeah Yeah. unless they actually they they do a lab-based PhD or they just do a PhD you know in yeah in general it is funny like trying to explain like I remember getting home one night and being like well I lost my USB stick and I've lost five documents that took me this many hours to do my partner was like why didn't you save it on a hard drive? Like that is not the answer. Like, do not take that away from this. Ah, exactly. How did it take you this long to do five documents? I was like, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But it is like, you talk about it and it just, it's not, it doesn't hit the same as to like the person has had the same experience and they're suddenly like, oh yeah, you need to order Chinese food and like lay on your sofa and not think about it. Like that's, that's the response I want rather than like, oh, it'll be fine. You're like, shut up I know like my rational brain knows it'll be fine I do not need to hear that from you <laughs> yeah I want um, you to just grieve with me <laughs> yeah grieve today and exactly. get over it 
yeah yeah totally get you I wanted to delve a little bit into like some of the blog posts that you'd written yeah basically because I'm addicted to it so I just go back Yay. so like I've literally bookmarked so many of them and be like that is such a good point I need to remember that friend. for your fan club <laughs> literally just oh. like so good so That's so good so nice to hear thank you <laughs> they're so easy to read like I'm just I'm just gonna fangirl over you for a sec so they're so easy <laughs> to read <laughs> um, but to get to the bottom of the blog post and you're like oh I actually like I understand something that I wouldn't have understood without this but it didn't feel like that you know like it doesn't feel like you're reading some like big educational thing you're just reading like experiences and this is what it's like for you and that kind of thing and I don't work in the lab anymore so I think like even your like snapshots and stuff on Instagram of like you're going into the lab and this is what you're doing like that sort of stuff is completely over my head now because like my brain (laughs) it just falls out at the end of it like my PhD wasn't in the lab so the last time I was in the lab was probably like 10 years ago and it all just fell out and now someone says western blot and I'm like I don't know what that is anymore I don't know what that is when you explain it I'm like oh I get it totally yeah can do that totally fine mm-hmm. like no big deal but yeah anyway after my fangirling moment one of the things that you'd written about on your blog was like it was uh, it was talking about like microaggressions that you might have experienced and one thing that I like really struck me and was like oh god I didn't even think of that was like language barriers so in well like the world of science I guess the the language of science is English right um and you'd written them on your blog post as blog posts when you were younger that your mom was speaking to you in Swahili outside and like you were kind of embarrassed by that and you were like oh don't like English outside the house sort of thing mm-hmm. and I just wondered whether you could say a little bit more about like how that experience and how like being bilingual might have changed your views on STEM or like helped your views on STEM like how how has that changed your experiences? It's a really good question, actually. You know, I think a lot of immigrants kind of go through that whole phase of, well, I hope it's it's sad that they do, but I kind of go through that phase of not wanting to have their culture anymore and kind of, you know, trying to assimilate and try to kind of get to the, the norm of it all. But I think I didn't see science as a, as a thing that I could do, not until, you know, I kind of was told by my teachers I could do it. And that it seemed quite interesting because one, my mum never talked about it, obviously, because no one, we had no scientists growing up. I didn't know anybody who did science, anyone who studied science. It was kind of all either quick traditional routes or it was um, just get a job that can sustain your life. And that was that was good enough. So that wasn't really a thing for me. And then when I kind of obviously seen what I thought STEM was and I thought what scientists looked like, it wasn't anything like me. So that was it was a hard thing to kind of like think of can I actually do it is it for me am I made for it a language barrier was actually not too bad because luckily I got to um, learn English and when I I was kind of first born in Kenya we learned pretty much English in school as well so and in that terms it wasn't that difficult to kind of like get to know to to learn a different language in that sense so in that that respect it was fine But in terms of, I guess, like you're learning a completely new world and having to kind of adjust to people thinking that you're not made for something as well is quite quite difficult because you you feel it yourself that you might not be made for something. And then to kind of have other people thinking, oh, wow, like whenever I would say something and I used to have a part time job at a supermarket and people would obviously have, you know, make small conversations with you and they would ask what I do. And I'd be like, oh, I'm at university. They'd be like, oh, wow, okay, what are you doing? I would tell them, you know, biochemistry, microbiology. They'd be like, oh, wow, really? 
and it, you know and it wasn't Ugh. just it wasn't a more like oh well done it was more like you are doing it you know and you could feel it and it just it it does kind of break you down a little bit because if yeah because it's the double it's the double-edged sword at that at the end of the day you don't think it's good enough and then other people don't think you're good enough so what's are you really made for it I don't know yeah. but luckily uh, it's better now yeah <laughs> but you you went to therapy right at the beginning of your PhD I did yeah I did some therapy yeah did you get any tools like to work with yeah I did and I think luckily as well I'd asked for a black therapist as well a black female therapist so and that was really important to me because especially after last year which would happen with the uprising the Black Lives Matter movement I realized the importance of having someone who was who understood your struggles so that even through therapy I know that you know you're not supposed to have the therapist isn't supposed to necessarily bring their own experiences into it but I knew that if I talked about something and someone didn't understand it, how could they necessarily give me the tools and resources to kind of combat what I was going through? So that was really important. And I think I talked a lot about kind of that feeling of, it's even larger than imposter syndrome, that kind of feeling of, I know that people are out here to kind of catch me out and 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 make sure that I don't excel. And even though it's not been as um, overt, now like leading up to now to where I am now it's going to get harder and harder as I as I grow older and the higher up in STEM that I go so I kind of talked a lot um, extensively about this to my therapist and you know I, I think again it's that whole point we're talking about earlier about someone getting it when you're going through something bad and it's like she wasn't necessarily saying oh, oh it's fine you'll be fine you'll get better she was like I know it's not going to get better she didn't sugarcoat anything she validated my experiences and my feelings really well because she said you know no, it's not going to get better, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. So that gave me that kind of, I guess, motivation to kind of say, well, yeah, actually, well, I can moan about it all I like. And I'm not moaning, but, you know, I am I can express how I feel as much as I like. But at the end of the day, yeah, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to make it better or am I going to fold and say, yeah, okay, you win. To yeah. People who don't want me to be in STEM. So I think that kind of constant thought of well what are you going to change about this situation and what can you do to make it better for you and everybody else around you that are going through the same thing that was the biggest tool that she gave me um, my therapist gave me in terms of being a black woman in STEM and how to combat certain issues and that's so important as well like when you're when you're going through anything STEM related <laughs> like you're always you're always like pushed back because that's what we do like that's the nature of the work so you push until you find something that doesn't work and then you go back and troubleshoot and then you push again until you find something else that doesn't work but when you're doing that like it it grates on you and if you've also got a, a higher thing above you that's saying like yeah you will find something that won't work yeah you can't do it you won't be able to do that like that is a massive thing that I think at the minute STEM in the UK is just not it hasn't really um, acknowledged that it's happening. And there's a few like pockets of people where they're like, right, we need to do something about this. Obviously I'm a white woman, so it's, I'm not trying to say like, you know, I'm centering it up, but I just, I find it really difficult to get to like, how how have we got to a point where universities are not, they don't have like a, a program or some way to connect black women in STEM to other black women in STEM to be like look we need you here yeah. we need we need to make sure that we're lifting you up the whole time because the system is pushing down on you so mm-hmm. how can we how can we like contribute to make that better and it is like it's just an ongoing issue that I think we just we just have to chip away at and 
that sounds easy and it and it's easy for me because I'm not in the position of, of, of like being pushed on but constantly having that on you is an awful lot and I think the fact that you're so open about it is amazing like there'll be mm-hmm. well I know that there is because I've spoken to people there'll be young black students looking at your Instagram and being like yeah like she's she's absolutely nailing it like why can't I do that cool I'm gonna go do it like let's let's do it man like and you get that like inspiration from you and your the content that you put out it's there's always like a serious edge like look you need to know about this but there's always like a bit of optimism and a bit of let let's pull together and let's let's change it and I think that is why as soon as I found your page I was like oh my god I need to like befriend this girl <laughs> like make me a friend <laughs> Like at no, this point, absolutely. I'm not even trying to be cool about it anymore. <laughs> no, this is a matchmaking episode. I yeah. love it. I love it. No, it's, um, this isn't even actually been recorded. It's just me. Like, I just want to have a shower. <laughs> it's not really a podcast. It's all a ruse. No. The whole thing, total lie. <laughs> but that's, I guess, why we connected as well, is because I could see you doing the work too. And I think a lot of people get really nervous to kind of feel like they're centering themselves in an issue that it doesn't necessarily impact them. But if you are in, we're all in in the issue at the end of the day, we're just at different points of it. So that's why I love you and your page, because you acknowledge that and you you say, well, this is what I'm doing about it. Join me, you know, and it's not necessarily about saying, because as much as we can can all acknowledge the fact that um, there is racism and xenophobia and um, misogyny, et cetera, in science and in, in STEM, acknowledging it is is okay it's just it's just okay and it's just at the crust of it it's just at the crust of everything because if we don't do anything now then it's just gonna be a thing we can't chip away at it we can't can't demolish it we can't then build from that so that's why um, I think we did connect really well because I could see the work that you're doing which is so important and that you support the work that I'm doing as well and that it all will just build up into something so much greater God, we're just like having a little love in here, aren't we? No. I don't know, like, you can leave. I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's just like, for me, it's about trying to get other white people to recognise that we're usually the majority in a room. Yeah. Um, I said to someone the other day that I was sick of um, women in STEM initiatives because they always, they're always they always at white women in STEM. Yeah. And I stepped back from a couple of like the events and stuff that I was doing because I was like, all I'm doing here is perpetuating the problem. Like under the guise of it being solving the problem but it's it's not solving the problem because all we're doing is bringing in more women but they're all white women so is that really helping because I think I'm pretty sure that in like biology and life sciences and stuff because I'm in health sciences I'm pretty sure that we're majority women in a lot of cases it's just we're majority white women and that's kind of the diverse bit where everyone's like looking over it and they're being like oh this woman in science event I'm like cool we all grew up on the same freaking street here lads like <laughs> well we all okay. have the same like references and yeah nothing is mm. there's no diversity when it's when it's just all the same white women in the room every time I think that as well is like the the thing that I think is really cool about Instagram is like the amount of diverse faces and diverse voices that you hear because it's not like I've I don't think I've ever seen one of these like you know 15 women to follow in STEM things they're not all white because they never are like it's it's a diverse group of people because you want to hear from different people like how is that revolutionary <laughs> I don't I don't know at this point but that's where we're at but I think like the as you said like the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff had really drawn attention to it and 
yeah, I'm hoping that there'll be change. Um, have you seen any sort of like change in things within like your program or your university or anything of things that they might have done to strengthen what should be happening? <laughs> Kind of. Um, there was actually like an open letter, I think, that was written to the university before I even got there. Um, I think about their lack of diversity and just the, what they were doing. And I think they had they had got a response back. I never read all of it because it was one of those ones where like basically they took like three months to write like a, a response to, to something and they said what they were going to do. But I don't think it was anything really that concrete, you know, that's always yeah. about plans, etc. In terms of my close lab, yeah, we talk about things like that quite a lot, actually. Um, my supervisor are quite open in talking about, you know, issues and, and race, etc., which is actually really good because it makes me feel comfortable to kind of raise my, you know, concerns, etc. And I don't ever feel like I'll be kind of ostracised or feel embarrassed to kind of come up to, to say anything or if I've got um, an issue to kind of raise that. I think it would be dealt with quite, quite, quite well and quite quickly within my close um, lab group. But other, other than that, not necessarily anything huge, I wouldn't say. I always feel like it's just, again, planned. It's always just like, yeah, this is what we're planning to do, but it's never actually made into anything useful. Yeah. Um, for lack there's of a, better there's words. There's a lot of talking, man. There's a, people, yeah, there's people talk a, <laughs> so much. Like, when do they ever get off their emails and just do the thing? Like Exactly. Ugh. I never really actually address it well by not talking to people um, that are being are faced by these issues. I don't really talk to the black people in STEM and or even other ethnic minorities. It's all kind of like they'll decide what, what's best moving forward, but then how's that gonna ever impact the, the people that are actually being impacted by it? So I haven't seen anything huge necessarily, but I hope I hope soon at some point. I think once I get my feet into and my rhythm, my rhythm into my PhD as well and also kind of solidify you know what I'm doing my PhD and everything I'm going to definitely start doing some more initiatives as well with, like for, that I can do personally yeah. as well within the university and in my program as well to to help that yeah I think it's it's nice that you're willing to do that because it's not your job like <laughs> um I remember um there was an ad going around at uni a couple of weeks ago like um, if you want to mentor like younger people and stuff and you could say like particular groups that you'd be happy to mentor so there was loads of pe- people like women being like we're happy to mentor like young girls and I was like I would be more than happy to mentor someone who doesn't look like me so whether it's a black boy or an Asian girl or a non-binary person from Spain I literally I could not care as long as they don't look like me and I got an email back and she was like that wasn't like on the sheet like it wasn't that wasn't one of the options <laughs> like you were meant to take a thing and I was like uh-huh yeah okay moving on moving on like it's just so it's like computer says no at every point like it just doesn't work and I remember speaking to um a girl a couple of weeks ago who's she's from Malaysia originally and her names like because they're not western names they don't fit in the university system because her passport name is not the same name as it is on like maybe her birth certificate or Mm. the registration document and stuff and she had to like come up with all these different like pages and pages of stuff and be like, hey, so these six things are all my name. Like that is all me. <laughs> and the university administrator was just like, mm, not sure about that. She's like, your system doesn't work for me. You have to change yeah. the system. Don't expect me to put myself in the system. Exactly. Yeah. There's, I think as well, like if something massive had happened after last summer, maybe we all, all would have been a bit like, hmm, what's this about? Like a bit suspect because... You don't just want one massive thing. It needs to be sustainable as well. So 
while something huge might have been good (laughs) it will be better if there's like 15 huge things one after another you know what I mean like rather than this one kind of gesture absolutely yeah because that's the thing I think a lot of you know institutions and companies that try to kind of do this big massive gesture but you could tell that it wasn't genuine and it wasn't sustainable as you mentioned and it wasn't ever going to run in the long term because they were just trying to to show face and it just it's not them it's not what they actually intended to do so yeah absolutely small steps small genuine steps um, will definitely get to the big picture yeah Yeah. and I think as well like over the next maybe five or six years we'll start to see people like you like coming out of your PhD programs and like holding a position of power where you're like yeah you can call me doctor come on let's (laughs) let's do this like I've (laughs) earned it and now what can I do like which role can I go into now and then Mm -hmm. I think I keep going back to Instagram but I just think it's so powerful that people like us have all kind of come together and been like we are going to change something We, we might not be in a position where we're hiring people yet but at some point we will and at that point the hiring practices are going to change to how they are now because they're not working for anyone so yeah I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we are going to have like I always say like when all the white old white professors die but I don't actually mean that I just mean when they retire uh, <laughs> then we'll all be fine <laughs> I hope so but then it's like also the good thing about social media I think as well is that fact that when you do get like a really big following or when you um, have even a smaller one but when you have an audience of any capacity people are listening to what you're saying so like that will I think unconscious subconsciously kind of change the, the way you think anyway um and make a question a lot of things that you hold like true to yourself or you kind of had a belief about so you might change that so that will I think impact as well the professors and the academics and the science you know the people power that we have in future because I think if we all kind of just stayed in our own little silos we would have just had exactly the same beliefs and we would everything would just take over as it has been so that's that's going to be amazing to see I think yeah definitely I was just curious about um because you you talked about you know having an audience and like an Instagram following and and obviously there's a lot of people reading your blog post do you have any like plans for for developing this like communication side further yes I do and I think it's all just if I've got time and honestly I I've got so many ideas and so many things I want to do but it's sometimes I'm just like it's okay you know just focus on one thing at a time um but it's actually coming up to my one year anniversary um on Monday which is going to be so exciting so I've kind of like recapped and kind of what's happened in the past year um what I've loved and what I haven't loved so much and I think what my ambition was was kind of have like an online magazine sort of thing as well so what I'm planning to do in the next year or so is definitely kind of more collaborations kind of trying to get um, more people on the blog as like guest posts and kind of understanding how we're all interlinked in that kind of way and kind of trying to get different perspectives from different women in science and non-binary people as well just trying to kind of open up a network I wanted I wanted to be a blogging platform that's not for me necessarily but for people just to kind of see different perspectives and join the conversation and you know kind of raise a topic and say what do you think about this and to kind of get that engagement interaction going on so that's kind of one thing and then also one thing that I've had in the back burner which I'm going to definitely do is a little series called Diana's Lab Bench and kind of like a little mini series kind of like following me around the lab seeing different techniques kind of opening up that world of microbiology that people don't necessarily know just showing what it's like to be a scientist but um, making it accessible for people because I think one thing that I think a lot of people do in science um, communication 
and I'm victim to it as well, is try to make science accessible, but it's not really still. People still don't understand what they, what you're talking about because you're using scientific terms or you think that your um, audience is more science-based as well. You think they're going to understand you, but they don't really. And even if they're doing science, they might not be doing biology, you know? So trying to kind of open up um, what I do to more people so they can say like, oh, I can do that, you know? like. Yes, it's hard, but every job is hard if you think about it. You know, you might not have the skills to be to do whatever um, the person's doing, but if it seems accessible, then it can it can be. It's a cool way to um, like kind of nudge collaborations as well. So I've been doing loads yeah. of inward swearing at the lack of like social scientists and stuff in the field that I work in. I'm like, I, I just need to find this person. So I keep finding people and being like, you, I need to speak to you. And then I'll email them <laughs> and they're like, why do you want to speak to me? You do nothing that's like related, but it's, if you know their methods and you know how they do stuff, then other people can like translate it into their own sphere. So even if you're like explaining how to do a Western blot, which clearly I'm obsessed with today. <laughs> oh my I've just got like death. scarring from like my undergrad dissertation, which we had a <laughs> side note, complete side note. But um, me and my friend Anna were in the same lab and not you, Anna, different Anna. No. We there. <laughs> and we were in the same lab. We were trying to do this Western blot and it was in the middle of February. And our hand in date was like end of March. And we just cried for the entire day, but it got to the point where you were like crying, laughing, crying, laughing, like trying to yeah. run this jail, crying, laughing. Like, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Like that is what a once and has done to me. But yeah, so you can like, someone else can look at it and be like, oh, she's doing that. Like that's, I could use that in my research. And like, I think that cross collaboration can make science like so much stronger than it currently is. Cause we're not, we tend to work in like very heavy silos of like, you do health stuff. So you're over there. You do microbiology. So you're over there. And like, you just, I say just, but obviously the methods are hard, but you you use the same methods that like your professor and the people before you have done. And we've kind of lost that like crosstalk between different areas where you're like, oh, they do that. Maybe we could tweak that a bit and do it in our space. Exactly, exactly. Kind of making that a bit more open and stuff, I think is a really cool idea to try and even just to be like, right, you don't have to do microbiology, but this is how I do this. Maybe you want to go do virology or like bacteriology or ologies. No. <laughs> all of the ologies yeah all of them man. it's like that if you say something about ology like older people are always like oh that coffee ad with sociologies and I'm like yeah and I have no idea what it is and I still don't know what it is so if anyone's listening and they know that that would be freaking incredible so they're just like oh this is the link send me the link <laughs> so we we always ask our guests a top tip or pearl of wisdom um for you to give our listeners so is there anything that you like you learned and then you wish that someone had told you like earlier or something that you're like everyone needs to know this if they're doing like a career in STEM? It's nothing revolutionary, but I don't think any pearls of wisdom really ever are revolutionary. They're just reminders keep on going. So the one pearl of wisdom that I would give is to back yourself because I think when you are especially first gen in science or in STEM, you always feel imposter syndrome you always feel like you're not really made for something um and people will be quick to push their excuses on you and say maybe you shouldn't do this or you know you think that they know you better than you know yourself but at the end of the day you have to live with your decisions so if you feel something in your gut and in your heart that's telling you to do something just back yourself and that's all you'll that's what you'll have to push you through and if it doesn't work out that's okay you know life moves on and you get you get to change and you get to move on 
but stop letting your insecurities or other people's insecurities kind of like blindfold you to making easier decisions that seem more simple you know sensible whatever it is just back yourself and have full faith in whatever you're doing that's so important that is like perfect sign off right back yourself to the to the extent of a mediocre white man have that yeah. confidence <laughs> oh yeah you get anywhere in the world <laughs> you have that confidence so <laughs> yeah, have the confidence of a mediocre white man and you will probably be the prime minister at some point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> side note, politics. Obviously, we'll leave your blog links and stuff in the show notes so people can go and follow them. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? No, I think just just remember to just remember that there are other people in STEM that aren't in as privileged a position as you are. So just keep pushing, keep pushing for um, accessibility in all levels. And that's not necessarily just ethnic minorities. There's people who, who don't conform to the same gender that you do. There's people who have disabilities, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. So just keep pushing to make sure that science and STEM is accessible as possible for everybody because it's so important. Yeah, it is. And it's like we shouldn't need a reason for it, but no. sometimes you need a reason because people disagree. <laughs> so. We need diversity. We need like a completely different melting pot of what what science should look like, because otherwise the science then doesn't apply to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't if it doesn't work for everyone, then it doesn't work for anyone. It's like what I'm trying to hammer in in my like day job life, because when you go through the categories, I think particularly in like stuff related to health and like microbiology will probably fit in here as well. Like when you say like oh it doesn't work for pregnant women it doesn't work for older people it doesn't work for black people it doesn't work for um people whose first language is not english like this huge 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 list and what you're left with is a massive thing where it's like this group it doesn't serve or this one group where it's privileged you know fluent in english white middle class probably retired men versus everybody else (laughs) you're like how did we get to the point where this one group just took over like it only applies to them, so it literally doesn't apply to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, in this case, are a majority. So yeah. do something else, like make it work, <laughs> make it make sense, and then make it work. But I just think it's like it's a group of us just chipping away. Like your blog, like it educated me without feeling like I was being educated. And we need more good. of that. Like we just need so many, and like pay people like you shouldn't have to write a blog that's free and like put your time into it and stuff so that I can be educated like geez man come on <laughs> like, you know like <laughs> give me my coins yeah man <laughs> that money jeez yeah pay people to be to be in that position like why don't we have universities where they're, they're like you should be blogging for your uni to be like look this is what it's yeah. like in this situation I'm not like pointing at Newcastle because I'm a northerner and we love you but you know <laughs> Yeah, so at the end of uh, every episode, we always allow our guests free space to plug. So if you want to give us a a rundown of the things where people can find you online and that kind of thing. Awesome. So you can find me on Instagram at anabundanceofmelanin. My blog name is also anabundanceofmelanin.com. And my Twitter is Diana Gethway, which is my full name. And yeah, that's pretty much where you can find you can find me, interact, read my blogs. There's gonna be more coming and I'm so excited. So just yeah, keep it, 
keep using and keep talking to me <laughs> and let <laughs> me know what your mark. thoughts are yeah Heidi um, might come stalk you <laughs> I love it <laughs> like she lives in Newcastle I know this is a bad picture that we're painting of me here I just think she's cool like, <laughs> cool. I just think she's nice it. I'm not weird I swear I'll stay in Aberdeen like I won't I'll stay here it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for being our guest thanks so much for having me on that's so much fun see you soon